This is the Author Archive podcast. I'm David Freeman. Today I'm talking to Justine Picardy. I recorded this interview when her book If the Spirit Moves You was published in paperback. The backstory is that Justine's sister died of cancer and Justine just couldn't accept the fact that her much-loved sister had gone. Justine is a journalist. Her sister died of cancer and Justine just couldn't cope. She could not believe that she couldn't continue to communicate with her sister. The book chronicles the lengths that she went to to try and re-establish the link. It's heartbreaking, it's fascinating and you think how could a journalist living in that oh-so-sharp world of reality believe some of the things that she did believe for a while. And reading the book, you end up thinking, well, what do you believe in now, Justine? Uh, love. I believe in love. In, I think it's, it's the thing that connects us, that turns a chaotic world into a world that is livable in despite all the chaos. Your sister died and you loved her. Yes. And that's really the starting point of the book. And her loss, which she shared because she wrote about it, didn't yes. she? In, in a paper that you were editing at the time. Yes, I was editing the Observer magazine, which was called Life, ironically. And Ruth's column about death, before I say goodbye, came on the final page of the magazine. Was it your idea? Yes, um, she'd, we'd always worked together. Um, she had always written about her experiences and I knew that she was thinking about writing, about having breast cancer, having terminal breast cancer. And I said to her, look, if you'd like to write it for me, then, you know, I'd love it if, if that's what you want to do. And she said she felt that I was the only person that she could write it for. <laughs> And she, in fact, only wrote seven pieces before she died, um, or six and a half, in fact. The, the last one was unfinished. But it does seem that her death left a, a gaping, cavernous hole in your life. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that all deaths are different, but they are, in some ways, they share certain characteristics in that sense literally of a, of a bomb going off in one's land in the landscape of one's life and however many deaths you experience and I've experienced several before Ruth's it's still nothing prepares you for the shock and then of course what happens next, which is literally, you know, the question of life after death. How do you go on living when somebody that you have loved so much has died? So you felt this need to, to still communicate with Ruth, to yes. know that somewhere she was. Yes. I don't know why I was so gripped by that. I mean, we both, we've had a very secular childhood. Um, we weren't brought up in any kind of religious context, really. And yet, because we'd always talked so much, we talked all the time, it seems impossible that just because her body wasn't there anymore, that her, literally her flesh and 
blood and bone was no longer there, that nevertheless that we would be separated by silence. And yet when she died, there just was this overwhelming silence, which I found inconceivable. I just couldn't comprehend it. And I became, I mean, there's no other word for it, obsessed, obsessed by the thought of hearing her voice again. And I found myself seeking out various mediums and spiritualists in a rather, um, in a very secretive way. I didn't tell anybody else. I was rather embarrassed by it. It was almost like having an affair. <laughs> but Ruth didn't believe anything. Either. No, but she did believe that we would continue to communicate. I mean, on the night that she was dying, she could hardly talk. But I said to her, you know, you know, this isn't the end. We'll always be together. And she said, yes, you know, I'll always, I'll always talk to you. I'll always be there. Just listen for me and I'll be there. And, and that's where the quest began. But such a jump from her saying that to you and you communicating uh, on the night she died and you sitting listening to a tape mm. which as I read the book even though my eyes were watering I was thinking Justine this is a blank tape yes come on girl this <sighs> pull is, yourself together pull yourself together this is a blank tape yeah it's amazing how in that sort of madness of grief that the need to believe um, destroys scepticism and rationality. And I, I won't, wouldn't say that I believed for hours that there was going to be her voice on a blank tape. Um, yet, at the time, I did believe. I think also, because we've been brought up with this, you know, this, we, we are the, the generation that, that believes in the power of technology. And this is one of the areas that I found so compelling that at a time when, you know, you can speak on a mobile phone on the other side of the world, you can c communicate by an email, that somehow the idea that just because somebody is dead that they can't phone you or email you. I know it, it sounds crazy, but at the time, I really believed that surely she could just send me an email. Oh, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're sending emails to Ruth at heaven.com. Yes. And you see, what's so, what's so affecting about this is that here you are, a hard-nosed journalist, you know, a hard-bitten journalist on, a, on an insightful, no-nonsense Sunday paper, and you're doing this, which is, I can imagine, sort of my six-year-old daughter doing it. Well, I think that there is the, a, something childlike in all of us. I suppose the other thing was that after, because I was so used to Ruth being part of my life, from obviously from, from childhood onwards, that there's that sense of learning who you are when the dead person is gone. And maybe that makes the bereaved quite childlike. It's, you, you know, you are learning to, to grow up. As you went and talked to these various mediums, I mean, there's one, you go off to this, I've even forgotten what it's called, this rather proper Victorian society, and you're left, uh, first of all, your first meeting is with a kind of junior psychic. Oh, yes, the what? College for Psychic Studies. The junior sensitive was the, the junior first one sensitive. I met, who didn't um, sense very much. I was so excited before going 
Uh, and yet, you know, he got absolutely nothing at all. Um, he said things like, oh, I'm getting your grandparents. Um, did one of them have their tonsils out? That kind of classic, you know, throwing out a few random questions and hoping you'll get some answers. And I did. Interestingly, every time I saw a media and had a kind of disappointing experience, I would always walk out thinking, that's it, I'm never doing it again. And yet, Hope. I was always drawn back. Hope springs eternal. Were they exploiting you? Uh, I didn't feel exploited at any point because I think that a lot of... I, I never met anybody who I thought themselves believed themselves to be a fake, who was in it for the money. Everybody I met believed and probably had some crisis in their own past that had led them to take up this slightly strange occupation. It's interesting, a lot of the mediums that I met had had some um, physical kind of crisis that, that, um, that maybe they'd lost their hearing or had um, problems with their eyesight or had possibly even had a nervous breakdown. And so you had this sense of I, the phrase somebody, I don't use in the book, but the phrase somebody else has used is the walking wounded. So, no, I never felt exploited. But you go to this house where, they call, what do they call it when you communicate via tape? EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. Yes, and you say it's a very poor house, but the woman there, you paint her as actually being quite lovely. Yeah, she used to be a report, Judith Chisholm, she used to be a reporter at the Sunday Times and her son died when he was in his 30s. She'd already left the Sunday Times by then, but she, um, you know, was an experienced, interesting writer. And she came to believe that the dead spoke to her through the tape her tape recorder and and she truly believes that. And one man in particular speaks to her. Her poor son never gets a word in edgeways, but there's a man called Jack Hallam, the former picture editor of the Sunday Times, who, whose voice that she can hear. Now, nobody else can necessarily hear these voices on her tape, but she hears them. And, and I think that's a very powerful belief and I didn't feel it's my place to tell her that the voices weren't there. What about the the spirits that communicate through the spell check? Oh yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean my spell check does some pretty odd things but I've never felt that it was my ancestors trying to communicate. Yes, Lady Prudentia. Um, <laughs> I just met the most wonderful people um, in the course of, of my own journey, one of whom was an architect, a, a former art architect who'd become an, an administrator at a school in Derbyshire. And the school was on the site of a very old building. And he got in touch with me through a strange series of coincidences. Once you become part of this world, and I was very much part of this world, I wasn't there as a tourist. I was there, and I wasn't there as a journalist. I was there as a participant, um, which made people talk to me and approach me in a way that I think they wouldn't have done if I was there as a journalist. You know, I was there as a someone who'd one of these lost souls. Anyway, so he got in touch with me and said, um, you know, I've, I've got this ghost in my computer and, and 
I'd like you to come up and, and meet me. And he was said that a, a dead woman called Lady Prudentia Trentum, who died in the 16th century, who had lived in the house that was now this school, was speaking to him through the spell check of his computer. And I have to say that when you go up and have a go on his computer, strange things do happen. Um, and anyone that uses a computer will know spell check. So if you put in a misspelt word, something completely anomalous comes out on his computer. So you know, maybe I might say misspelled Justine Piccadilly, and the spell check version would say death is a gate. Now, I don't have an explanation for that. Um, you know, the, the, the rational one is that there was a virus in his mm. computer. He certainly believed and continued, continues to believe. And then, <coughs> um, Subsequently, he stayed in touch with me and now says that um, Lady Prudentia is also in touch with Ruth and uh, that, you know, Ruth communicates too. I think that in the course of this journey, there were, I came to a place that I realised I wasn't going to cross beyond. I, uh, Judith Chisholm, who I mentioned earlier, who was a journalist and now this is what she does full time, the CVP. I realised that I wasn't going to literally cross to the other side, that I was going to stay on the certain side of the fence. So I didn't set off, um, you know, believing that I was now going to find Ruth on, on somebody's spell check. I don't believe that. That's Justine Piccadilly talking to me about her book, If the Spirit Moves You. I'm David Freeman. This is the Author Archive Podcast.